For so many of us, our day-to-day is filled with feelings of bondage, of being stuck. For some of us, it is being stuck with internal struggles, fears, even addictions that hold us tightly. For others of us, it is being stuck in a set of rules we dare not break, fearing what others and God will think of us if we are fully known. But what if there is more for us? What if there is freedom? If you have a Bible with you, you can turn them to the book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament. Uh, you got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, book of Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then Galatians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, the text is printed for you in your order of worship. If you don't own a Bible, there are five of them on that back table. At least there, there was five of them on that back table. One of those is yours, so go grab it. Uh, I want you to take that home with you. Any way you can have the scriptures in front of you, it's going to be good so that you know that I'm not making this up. Because if I'm making this up, we're all in trouble, okay? So what we are about to do here, believe it or not, is incredibly important. I know for most, for many of us in this room at least, it's really mundane because we do it a lot. Even more so for the one who's about to do it himself. Uh, but Christians believe that God is a person. That he's not a force. He's not a power. He's not something other, uh, like some something other than a person. He's a person, and he's a person that wants to be known. That he's not hiding from us. That he wants to be known. He reveals himself in his word, and he calls us to heed that, especially through this thing we call preaching. There's something special about him revealing himself through this. And it's through that that he makes himself known to us and proclaims his lordship over all of our lives, and not just a part. And, and this morning, as we come into Galatians, we get to the main part, the main body of Galatians. Um, if you've been here since the beginning of September, we've been taking some time to go through the first two chapters. Right now, we're getting to the main part of the argument. And, and what Paul is getting to here in this piece of the letter is how it is that we change. How do we come to acknowledge God's lordship over our lives? If freedom really is following Jesus, as we've been arguing... You know, this series is called Freedom. If freedom really is following Jesus, how do we do that? Is it by our efforts? Is it by our rigorous self-discipline? Or is it by something else? Is it by a different principle altogether? That's the question we're taking to the scriptures this morning. So if you have your place in Galatians 3, as is our habit, would you stand? Uh, In honor of God's word, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 6. And friends, before we get started, let me just reinforce something to us that's easy for us to forget. The scriptures tell us, That God's word is powerful. That by it, whole kingdoms are raised up and whole kingdoms are are brought down. That that by it, the dead can be raised and and, and new life given. This is not a, a pedestrian thing we are about to do. So let's hear it in that way. Galatians 3, verses 1 to 6. This is God's word. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is God's word given for our flourishing. Would you pray with me? Father, over this time we ask your presence and your spirit to be active and moving. Lord, let 
let your word be brought deeply into our hearts. You are the God who makes the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and loosen our tongue that we might sing your praise because you are worthy of it all. Jesus, let you and what you have done come to the fore and the one who speaks fall to the wayside because you alone hold the words of eternal life. And so we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so I said a second ago that we are entering into the main part of this letter. If you've been at Holy Cross for the last couple of months, you know that since the beginning of September, we, we began the book of Galatians, and these first two chapters, chapters 1 and chapter 2, are really Paul's defense. He's defending himself. He's defending his, um, he's defending his gospel, his, 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 his message, but he's done with that. He's done all the defending he intends to do, and now he's getting to the real issues. And so over the, last, over the last two chapters, we've been dealing primarily with what in Christian theology is called justification. Okay, and That's Christian speak for being made right with God. It's, that's, and that's what Paul has been dealing with. That we are, His consistent message has been we are made right with God, not through what we have done, but through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That when we place our faith in Christ, our sin is, is placed on Jesus and that we receive his righteousness. That is called justification. Okay? But now he's moving into something else. He's moving into what is called sanctification. That is being made more and more like Jesus. And so Paul's argument here will be that the principle for the Christian life, the way in which we continue in the Christian life, is no different than the way you enter it in the first place. It is the gospel of Jesus. Okay? So we're going to look at this in three ways. There's an outline in your bulletin that's helpful. We're going to look at a clear depiction. We're going to look at a confused path. And then finally, we're going to look at a free principle. Okay? Clear depiction, a confused path, and then a free principle. Let's start with that clear depiction and this issue of being bewitched. Look down at verse 1. I love the way this begins. I love the way this begins because Paul kind of smashes our little idol of niceness. We, you know, we think niceness is this biblical value, and Paul just kind of throws it away by calling these people fools right from the beginning, right? Um, he, he, he's getting in our face. He says, look, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Like, do you hear the exasperation in this? Paul actually only speaks like this to congregations in two places. One is here, and the other is 1 Corinthians 5. You can look that up later this afternoon. Both are times in which he is just beside himself with what is going on in these churches. Something is terribly wrong. Paul wants their attention because they need to understand what it is. And he described what is wrong with this word, bewitched. And I know that word's a little antiquated, and for some of us, we're old enough in this room to remember a little show with a woman whose nose twitches, and that's what we think of when we hear bewitched. Uh, but actually, he means exactly what it sounds like. The word in the original, uh, the Greek means, means to be placed under a spell, to have, uh, literally to have an evil eye cast on you. And, and so he literally means you have been placed under a spell. Um, now, I know, that, I know that Glinda asked Dorothy, you know, are you a good witch or a bad witch? That's not the, the distinction the Bible would recognize, okay? In, in, in the Bible as a whole, as in, in the ancient world, even as today, the idea of magic is about humans manipulating the gods or the powers that be to give them what they want, right? And, and you think about it, it whether it's, whether it's uh, something benign or something not so benign, it's I can get what I want by using words or, or actions to, to make something happen. But of course, since the Bible only recognizes one true God, Paul would argue in, uh, in another place in his letters that these quote-unquote gods are actually demons. They're demonic. 
And now, as I say demons, some of us, <laughs> we're, we're going some places with that, right? Because for some of us, we hear demons and we immediately check it. We're like, that's crazy. You people are nuts. We are, but not for that reason. Stay with me. Uh, and, and for others of us, when we hear demons, we think, um, we think like scary horror movies with fire and, you know, crazy stuff. Okay? It's not really so much either of those. What Paul means is, is, is something that is demonic uh, is something that is dragging them away from Jesus. Because that's what we see in, in the Bible. That if, if, if um, demons are involved in something, it is not to just kind of scare you or, or make things crazy. They are there to draw you away from Jesus. And so, basically, Paul is saying, fools, who has messed you all up? Who is dragging you away from Jesus? Who is pulling you from Jesus? Okay? And, and he finishes his statement with this root issue. Say, so let's keep reading. He says, Fools, like, who, who has jacked you up? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. All right, now stop there. Because that can be a little confusing. Because if you've been here, you know that the churches that Paul is writing to are in Turkey. Or modern-day Turkey, right? They're in southern Turkey. And Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem, which is a good bit away, and, and 15 years previous to that. So what does Paul mean when he says they've been publicly portrayed as crucified? Now, when I, when I, uh, when I, whenever I read this, the image that comes into my mind is that Paul's talking about like a passion play. You know what those are? It's like the church has put them on around, around Easter time and it's some play and you got some dude with, big white dude with long curly hair who's, you know, strapped, tied up to a cross in what looks like a cloth diaper. That is not what Paul is talking about here, okay? Um, what Paul means is wrapped up in that word um, publicly portrayed. Because what that word means, we think what that means is visually and it, does, it, it can mean that, but it doesn't absolutely mean that. It means clearly depicted, clearly argued for, clearly reasoned. And so what Paul is saying is that Jesus was clearly argued, clearly depicted to you as being crucified. Now, what Paul likely means by that is not just the crucifixion, because that's important, but that's, that, that becomes a catch-all word for him, and not just the crucifixion of Jesus, but the gospel. And so in other words, what Paul is saying is, what has happened to you guys? What has happened to you? Who is, who is messing you up? You used to be very clear on the gospel. Now, before we move on, we need to, under, we need to be clear on a couple things. First, the crucifixion of Jesus is not simply understood as a historical event. Now, it's nothing less than that. If it's not a historical event, we're all fools sitting in here. Like, but, but it's not, when Paul says Jesus crucified, he doesn't just mean, hey, there was this crucifixion, and d- didn't you understand there was a crucifixion? Like, lots of people got crucified. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, he means, uh, what Paul means is Jesus dying in the place of sinners. Jesus bearing the judgment before God due for our sin. Jesus breaking the power of sin and death, and then offering that to any and to all who would come and place their faith their trust, not in their own efforts, but in the work of Jesus. Okay? That is the gospel. Jesus and Jesus alone secures our place before God. Jesus and Jesus alone deals with our sin and brokenness, and without him we are lost. So when Paul says, Christ crucified, Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified, he's talking about the message of the gospel, and that is it. But secondly, Paul is saying that whatever is happening, and we're going to get to what his details are on that in a second. Whatever is happening, the problem ultimately is that they they have left the gospel. They have left the gospel. This is a gospel issue. His exasperation comes from the fact that they should know better 
because the gospel was clear to them. And if the gospel is clear to them, this shouldn't have gone on, okay? And that is really important. We need to keep that in mind as we address these two questions. Now, if you're, a, um, if you're an outliner, like if you like to break up passages and all that stuff, this, this passage, chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, is really revolves around two questions, two main questions, okay? And, and the first of them comes in verses 2 and 3. So let's look at that confused path first by looking at beginning and ending, okay? Paul says this, this one thing I want to know from you. I love that. He's like, look, tell me this. Tell me this. Was it out of works of the law that you received the Spirit or out of the hearing with faith? Okay, now let's stop there so we can be clear on this first part before we move on. So let's dissect it. Okay, let's start with this notion of receiving the Spirit. When Paul says the Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay, and Christians believe that God exists in one God in three persons. Okay, one, uh, the, you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. One substance, uh, three persons. One what and three who's. It's not three gods, nor is it like one God in three manifestations, like poof, I'm the Father. No, poof, now I'm the Son. Poof, Holy Spirit. Like, he's talking about one God in three persons, okay, at the same time. And now when you become a Christian... Which means when you turn from your attempts to make yourself right before God or turn from your attempts to just kind of ignore God altogether and place your faith in Jesus, the New Testament tells us that we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us and unite us to Jesus, unite us to Christ. Happens right then. It's not some secondary thing or some later. It's right then. And so when Paul says, receive the Spirit, when he says, did you receive the Spirit via works of the law or hearing the faith, he means when you became a Christian, did you start your Christian faith, he says, by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Okay? Now, let's deal with that works of the law. Works of the law is a technical term, and scholars are a little divided on what it means. Yeah, on one hand, some will say that it means um, just uh, trying really hard to keep God's law, the whole of it, the Big Ten. Like, I'm working really hard to not do these things. And he's saying, so if, in that case, it's, it's did you become a Christian by, by, um, by keeping God's law perfectly? Okay? Others will say, no, no, it's not talking about the whole of the law. It's talking about individual aspects of it. It's a technical term, meaning things like um, circumcision and dietary laws and Sabbath. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Okay? That, those are, that's an interesting intramural debate that you may be familiar with. But either way, the point is the same. What he means is through your actions. Did you become a Christian through your actions, through what you did, by your work? And what's set in parallel to that is this, this hearing of faith, or the ESV says hearing with faith. What it means is like hearing, hearing something, and while you're hearing it, faith is happening, okay? Hearing accompanied by faith. And that hearing refers back to that public portrayal that he talked about, right? So stay with me. So what he's saying is this. Did you become a Christian by what you did or by what you believed? What you trusted in, what you had faith in, or what you did? In other words, did you get right with God because you did all the right things or because you trusted in Jesus alone? When your Christian life started, was it because of you or because of him? And the expected answer is the hearing of faith. Hearing of faith, of course, right? That's been Paul's entire message up to this point, that the gospel of Jesus is the only way that can make us right before God, that we can earn nothing. We cannot earn our way to God. That it is purely out of God's grace that we are reconciled to him through faith in what Jesus did. And so Paul continues in verse 3. If that's the case, 
If you began your Christian life that way, are you now so foolish to think that having begun by the Spirit, you're now seeking to complete yourselves or perfect yourselves by the flesh? All right, what does he mean by that? Let me break this down. In this sentence, two things are being contrasted, spirit and flesh, okay? Now, in the Bible, what is of the flesh is not just like material and God doesn't like matter and he hates solid things. That's not what he means. He means things that come from us. The flesh is what comes from us naturally, okay? And, and Whereas the spirit has to do with the spirit of God coming from outside of us. I know in our culture we love to talk about how spiritual we are. And by that we mean I have some inner sense of transcendence. I, I like things that I can't see. Like, that's what we mean. In our, that is not spiritual, according to the Bible. Spiritual is something, is by the Spirit of God coming from outside of us and working on us. Spiritual is that which is empowered by the Spirit of God through the work of Jesus Christ. And that, that um, word that we, the ESV says perfected or, or completed, um, the important thing to see about that is that it's best translated being reflexive. In other words, like, you've done this yourself, completed yourself, perfected yourself. And so Paul is saying, you began the Christian life by the Spirit. You began the Christian life through faith. And now you're trying to make yourselves better by your own strength. Now, the reality is that actually shouldn't be all that unfamiliar to us, since my guess is that most of us in here do exactly what Paul is talking about. This is the notion that we are justified by our faith. We are made right with God by faith. We all, we're good on that. But then we're sanctified. We're made more like Jesus by our actions, by what we do, by how hard we work, by our discipline. We enter the Christian life by believing the gospel, but we continue it, listen to me, we continue in the Christian life by consistently applying biblical principles. Right? Sound familiar? Let me give you some for instances. You've been a Christian for a while and suddenly you're aware that you struggle with gossiping. You don't know why. You just love to talk about people behind their back. And, and so you set up wonderful fences for yourself and you make a plan of how I'm only going to say good things about people from now on. Right? Struggle. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do harder. I'm going to try harder and do better. Or you've been convicted of your anger issues, whether that's because somebody cuts you off in traffic, something's not going right at work, or consistently at home, you struggle with anger with your spouse. And so you've decided, I just need to try harder to not be angry. I need to go for walks more, you know. Or perhaps you've noticed that your eyes are lingering too long on people of the opposite sex, and so you avert your eyes so much, people think you have a facial tick, right? It's like, you just can't seem to look at anybody because your eyes are all over the place. Like, what is that? Or my favorite. This is my favorite. And my favorite because, because I've wrestled with it myself. I'm struggling with habitual sin. And so the answer is, I just need to read my Bible and pray more. And then it'll all go away. Like, I'll just work it out of myself. Paul is saying, you didn't enter the Christian life through your efforts. Why do you think this is the way to continue in it? And then he talks about experience and power. Look down at verses 4 and 5. This is the second question. He says this, have you experienced, the ESV says suffer, but experienced is a better translation there. Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works mighty deeds or miracles among you, is that by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? All right. 
But what is he talking about when he talks about experiences? The best way to describe this, and, and you could go later this afternoon if you want to, uh, read Acts chapters 13 and 14. Because we don't have to go any further than what happened when Paul actually went around to these, these cities and started these churches. Okay, Let me give you the highlights. In, in the city of Pisidian Antioch, Paul showed up one day. He begins preaching in the synagogue. Folks are like, oh, that's all right. So the next day, the whole town comes out to hear him. The entire town, many of whom, they didn't know Jesus from a hole in the wall. They're, they're coming out because they want to hear him. And he preaches, and many of them believe. In the city of Iconium, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed, and God perform, performed miracles to confirm their message, which is why God does miracles, by the way. It's not just because he wants to show himself as more powerful than magicians. He does it to confirm a message. In, in Lystra, Paul healed a cripple. Right? He literally made someone who had, who had been crippled, couldn't walk, he healed him. Then, in the middle of his preaching, folks drag him outside the city and stone him within an inch of his life. Like with rocks. And then he gets up, and he walks back in the city and keeps preaching. Okay? And then in Derbe, many disciples were made. All of these cities, let me, all of these cities, we may go, okay, what's the big deal? Do you understand that in all of these cities, the majority of the people there don't have any clue who the God of the Bible is. Had never heard of Jesus from the hole in the wall. You and I forget about this. I mean, think about it. Paul shows up in the middle of, of one of these Greek cities. Hey, everybody, guess what? I got great news. There is a new Lord. And he has claimed lordship over everything. He's answered all of our deepest needs. And they say, great, who is it? He says, he's a crucified Jew. And then he rose from the dead. And they all go, okay, I'll follow him. That's crazy. Like, we forget how crazy that message is. The gospel is, we believe that God became human, took on human form, lived perfectly, died tragically, and then rose triumphantly so that he could be substituted for us before God. That he could take our sin and we could have his righteousness. That is nutty. That is nutty. But people believed it. Y'all believe it. Most of you, right? So, this is crazy. And what Paul is saying is, have you, did you experience that kind of thing in vain? Do you think you did something right and that happened? Right? Do, do, you, do you do something to get the Spirit of God to show up for you? Do you do the right things and suddenly people get healed and come to faith? The expected answer, again, is no. Right? But that's hard for us. Because some of us in this room right now, you're arguing with me because you're like, wait a minute, but doesn't God... Uh, reward obedience, right? Doesn't God reward faith? Which to many of us means if I believe hard enough, won't God do what I think he should do, right? If I'm obedient, won't God do what I want him to do? No. God is not your Coke machine, right? Where you take out your little obedience coin and you put it in and push your button and you get your blessing out and mm, that's great Jesus. You know, like that is not what God is. He's not your Coke machine, he works through faith. And here's why. Because you and I were made for dependence on him. A dependent relationship with him. To trust in him. To lay our hopes on him. To find our value in him. And when we do the whole, like, I do X so that I can get Y. Which, by the way, is like, that's, that's the outlook of religion. I'm going to do these things and the gods will work for me. Right? When we do the I do X so that I can get Y, we are taking control. It's not dependent. 
It's now I'm going to work really hard to get God to do for me. Faith isn't inactive, but it is dependent. Doing something to get God to show up, friends, whether that is doing good obedience or whether that is uh, believing hard enough. I do believe, I do, I mean, that's like Tinkerbell, guys. Like, that's, like, I do believe in fairies and he'll come back to life. Like, that is magic. That is not the Christian faith. It is, it isn't, those kind of things aren't trusting in him. It is thinking that you know how to manipulate God to do what you want. And Paul says that this is not in line with the gospel. God works when we abandon our attempts to be independent from him. Abandon our attempts to determine what is best and instead live by trusting in him. Now, that probably raises more questions than it does answers. So let me, let me seek to apply this for a second. Um, let me try and flesh this out first by digging to the why, okay? I need you to think with me for a minute. So if you've checked out, check back in. I need you to think with me. Paul is saying that the issue in Galatia is that their fleshy effort, whatever we want to call that, works of the law, their fleshy work shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened because Paul had clearly portrayed Jesus as crucified. In other words, he had clearly shown that Jesus is Savior, right? And so that means that Paul sees their efforts as betraying the fact that they are looking to other things besides Jesus to be their Savior. They've given up on Jesus as Savior and gone to other things. If they were still looking to Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. Here's what I mean. Back to the gossip issue. Gossip is a behavior, right? It's something we do. But Jesus said that in the Gospels that that, um, our behavior is something that comes out of our hearts. That in fact, it's not what comes into us that makes us unclean, that it's what comes out of us, out of our hearts that makes us unclean. The heart is the problem, not the behavior. So if we seek to change our behavior without addressing what's going on in the heart, we never deal with the actual problem. We just deal with the symptom. Okay, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. You never win a game of whack-a-mole, by the way. They always pop back up. You can't win, trust me. So the question needs to be asked, why are we doing what we're doing? If you struggle with gossip, why do you feel the need to do that? Could it be, let me suggest something, could it be that you want your reputation to save you? You want your reputation to give you value. And the easiest way to to do that is to keep others from having a reputation by seeking to bring down the reputation of others. Or, Or rather, could it be that it's that position of power that you like where you've always got the latest nugget of juicy gossip and everyone's coming to you for these things and and so you you think that that kind of power will make you safe and make you feel right if you struggle with anger like have you ever asked why have you ever asked why like why do i why do i get angry could it be that when others don't act the way you want when life doesn't go the way you want when your spouse doesn't act the way you want or your roommates don't do what you think they should do or, or your kids are, are not doing what you think they should do. Do you, you think maybe you get angry because you think you deserve better? I, I deserve. People should listen to everything I have to say. I should never be cut off in traffic. I mean, for many of us, we've done things right. I've done things right. God needs to show up for me. I did it the right way. All those other people did it wrong, and the things are going better for them. It should... 
God owes me. Your Coke machine hasn't worked for you. You keep hitting the button getting Sprite. I want Coke. Coke. Or if you struggle with lust, could it be that you find it safer to use people than to be known by them? Because you're terrified of what people will actually do if they, if they find out, if they know you. What are they going to do with you? And so long as you view people as objects, you're able to keep them at a distance and have some fantasy world where others want you and they want to be with you without you ever having to risk anything. In all of these, friends, we are looking to these behaviors to give us what only Jesus can. They cannot give you value. They cannot give you safety. And they they cannot make things right. Listen, if you are a Christian here this morning, Paul is speaking to you right now. Like the word of God is pressing in on you and telling you, you have believed the gospel, that Jesus is your savior. Why are you trying to be saved through the flesh? So then how do we change? What does gospel change look like? Because you see many of us right now, we see only two options. <laughs> we either work really hard or we don't. We either we, we press on in self-discipline or, or we... And we don't. And so we're like, Rick, you're telling me I'm not supposed to try? No, that's not what I'm saying. Not at all. It's a false dichotomy, okay? Listen to me. Paul's issue is not the works of the law. He did them, okay? What does he say? To the Jews, I became like a Jew so that I might reach the Jews. He did those things. Those things are whatever, like fine, okay, It's the why. Why are you doing them? We don't become Christians via the gospel and then spend our lives vigorously applying biblical principles. We become Christians via the gospel and then we spend our lives applying the gospel to our lives. That is how we change. It is action stemming from faith. Here's what I mean. Instead of just trying hard to stop gossiping, coming up with your plan about how you're going to say, you know, you're, you're never going to ever say something bad about somebody. You're only going to say something good about people and da 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 Okay? Good luck with that, by the way. Instead of that, let me suggest something else. Let's try believing the gospel. Your reputation cannot save you. You are broken, just like me. There's nothing wrong with you that's not wrong with me. But Jesus loved you, and he gave himself for you so that before God, you don't even have your reputation anymore. You have Jesus' reputation. can't get any better than that. Good luck trying. Like, if you want to try and hold your reputation up, have fun. I'll take Jesus's, okay? And I'm I'm, I'm telling you, believe the gospel and hold his reputation up. You don't have to defend yours anymore. You don't have to take out any challengers and knock their legs out. Hopefully they'll get worse because you have Jesus' reputation. It frees you. I don't have to be looking good in front of people. I don't have to. Jesus is enough for me. You're angry, perhaps. Look, I get it. But like I said, trying hard ain't going to help. You never, lose, you never win at whack-a-mole, okay? But maybe believing the gospel will. Because the gospel tells us that the only thing we've earned before God, the only thing, is judgment. The only thing that we've earned before God, even with our righteousness, Paul says, even our righteousness is filled with, with, with independent 
uh, sinfulness. Like, we, even we do that, and it's still tinged in sin. And so if we believe that, it cuts the basis out for us thinking God owes us anything. But Jesus loved you. He loved you in your self-righteousness. When you thought you were the best thing walking. He loved you, and he died for you. And so accept that grace instead of that bargaining chip you have. It's not good enough. Lastly, maybe you think that the best that you can hope for in this life is to use others, whether that's sexually or however, because you're afraid of what they will do with you if they actually find out who you really are. Can I tell you something? Jesus knows you. He knows the parts of you that you try and keep from other people. Heck, he knows the parts of you you keep from yourself. We got these doors in our minds, these closets. We're like, I don't, I'm not going to think about that part of me. Jesus knows you. He knows you through and through. And he loved you and he died for you. When we're able to rest in that, those truths, we then can affect our behavior because the foundation for why we were doing them in the first place has been dug out and destroyed. We can repent of our behaviors of serving our false saviors. It isn't faith versus action. It is action coming from faith. It is works coming from the gospel. Friends, the gospel is the Christian life. It is the Christian life. It is both the means to enter it and it is the, the principle to live it out. It is through the gospel that we have true freedom because in it, in the gospel, we have, God has provided everything for us, everything we need for our lives, including how we can change. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, uh, we all need to hear this. Because every one of us, myself included, perhaps myself worse than any, want to run to false saviors all the time. And so we need to hear this. We need to hear that it is the gospel that changes us. And so, Lord, we, we want to return to you. Some of us in this room, we've never trusted in Christ, and so we need to return to you this morning for the first time. Others of us, we were doing great until we woke up. And since then, it's just been a struggle. A struggle living out of the gospel. And so we need to return to you. And so, Spirit, I pray that you would work in our hearts through the foolishness of preaching. And that you would do wondrous things. Restore us to yourself. Help us to believe the gospel and to live it out so that the world might see something different. A God who loves us and who provides for our every need, not based on our obedience, but based on his free grace. This is all we ask in Christ's name. Amen.